0: Weight management is a lifelong journey. Welcome to SBH Bronx Health Talk, produced by SBH Health System and broadcast from the beautiful studios at St. Barnabas Hospital in the Bronx. I'm Faith Daniel. In New York City alone, nearly 34% of adults are considered overweight and approximately 22% are obese. Of those individuals, Black and Hispanic adults have the highest prevalence of obesity than any other racial group. Individuals who live in low-income areas have difficulty accessing fresh produce, have limited green space, and experience food insecurity. The obesity epidemic in New York City is a clear example of structural racism and inequities that have plagued disadvantaged communities. As a result, the Bronx has some of the highest rates of obesity-related conditions, including heart disease, stroke type 2 diabetes, and certain cancers. Women in particular tend to struggle more with weight loss due to menopause, pregnancy effects, conditions like polycystic ovary syndrome, and more. With me today is a Bronx resident, Clarissa Aliento. Community organizer to discuss her weight loss journey and to provide the clinical perspective is SBH's Director of Ambulatory Care, Internal Medicine, Dr. Machiavello Welcome both and thank you. Thank you both so much for being on air today.
1: Thank you so much for the invitation.
0: Thank you. Of course. So, Clarissa, I really wanted to start with you. It is such a treat to have you on SBH Bronx Health Talk and to really talk about your weight loss journey. And I wanted to start with what inspired you to embark on the journey. It is so hard. I think the hardest part is starting.
2: For sure. Um, uh, What happened was back in 2016, for a long time, I would go to my PCP and he would tell me, hey, Clarissa, you know, your a A1C. It's going up and we got to a point where I was pre-diabetic and he was still trying to figure out like, he was telling me, hey, you need to do something. Um, But I I really didn't put it into action until I went to the doctor and he said to me, you are now diabetic, right? Um, And so that was a moment for me to be like, wait a minute. Like, I don't wanna be diabetic. At the time I was in my early thirties and I said, this can't be like, I remember my grandfather being diabetic and every, you know, I remember my grandmother having to cook separate meals for him. And I remember the insulin. And I remember, you know, the um, the diabetic comas he would go into where he would just lose consciousness and begin to sweat. And as a teenager, that was like traumatic for me. And eventually they amputated his toe and eventually his leg and he got Alzheimer's and, and eventually passed away. But those were the things that when the doctor said you're diabetic, those were the things that came to mind. And I figured out for a week, I was like in this depression and maybe longer than a week. But I was like, I got to do something. And so I started to research, like, what can I do about like um, foods for diabetics? That was where I started. I said, but wait, where am I getting most of my like sugar? Um, And so I started there and I I realized that I was drinking too much soda. Soda was my thing. I was drinking so much of it. So Mm -hmm. I said, I'm going to cut all the sugar beverages out. No mm-hmm. soda, no juice, none of it. And I cut all of the sugar. So I started there. I started with one small change, eventually leading to working out, eventually leading to meal prepping and, and losing 100 pounds, reversing diabetes, mm-hmm. You know, getting my A1C under control back to normal. I didn't even know that was possible. When the doctor said you're diabetic and he said, you know, we're going to put you on medication. I, I said, give me a minute. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't want to be that person. Um, So that's really like I was it was late at the time I was diagnosed with diabetes, but I sprung into action. And I think that's what saved me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned a lot of things that I know that many of our listeners can resonate with. With seeing our community members, our family members really struggle with diabetes and diabetes management. You know, my both of my grandparents on my maternal side have diabetes and my mom also has to make a separate meal for them. And the difficulties of doing that and not even being able to access um, fresh produce. And I'm Caribbean American, so we, we want our food and like, you know, we have to alter them. Um, to fit those needs. And Dr. Machiavelli, I want to bring you in because Clarissa mentioned a lot of terms that I I think you could provide a lot of context to about being pre-diabetic. Like what does that mean? And also reversing diabetes. And could you really talk about like how can one do that and what does that mean to reverse diabetes?
1: Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you very much, Clarissa, for sharing that experience. I am not foreign to myself. To the same experience that you had. Uh, I come from uh, uh, my entire family, struggle with uh, weight management, uh, being um, both my parents obese, uh, having been obese myself with uh, a body mass index closer to 40. Uh, And we'll talk about this a little bit more. But um, to the question, um, pre diabetes and diabetes are uh, basically ways that we physicians. Diagnose uh, using a, a number of a marker in the blood that is called hemoglobin A1C, right? Um, sugar uh, runs through the bloodstream and as any other uh, element in the bloodstream, um, they uh, form um, attachments to the red blood cells. And inside the red blood cells, there's a protein that is called hemoglobin. So when they attach together, we can see what is the percentage Within that red blood cell of protein that has been together with the glucose for the past three months, right? Uh, why three months? Because the red blood cells live for three months. That is their, their usual uh, lifespan. Therefore, uh, the percentage of this hemoglobin of this protein that has been living with sugar above a, a 5.6 uh, and below 6.4%. This is a moment where we start telling the patient that is pre-diabetic. Above 6.5 is when we call a patient and diagnose the patient with diabetes. Okay, let's expand on that as well. The concept is insulin resistance, right? We all know that insulin is a hormone, that is normal to have in the body. Most patients that are afraid of being diabetic and most of us that we have family members who struggle with diabetes and some of them uncontrolled using um, insulin as part of the regimen. Uh, Well, insulin also is available as a medication, right? But it's a hormone that runs through the bloodstream and controls the amount of blood sugar that is, is normal in the body, right? As we grow bigger, uh, accumulating fat cells, these fat cells become resistant, meaning that they don't respond to the same amount of insulin in a person who doesn't have uh, a lot of fat cells, who are not overweight, they will respond differently, right? So they don't pay attention to insulin anymore. They say, OK, you are here. I'm not going to pay attention to you. So if that's in that's in, in layman terms, is that this is what resistance is to a hormone, right? So I know that I'm supposed to respond to your insulin, reducing the blood sugar in the bloodstream, but I'm not going to pay attention to you. This is when I become resistance. And we have seen in studies that the main culprit for this resistance is fat cells in the body. So the larger a patient is, the larger of any person is, right? And by larger, I mean that they have accumulated fat cells as part of their weight we will see that that there are different levels of insulin resistance with the risk of becoming pre-diabetic and diabetic if they don't take care of these um, problems.
0: And then from there, it sounds like, so when we lose weight, that's when we start talking about reversing diabetes.
1: So there's hope, is there in that 100%. Okay. And basically, you hit the jackpot with that uh, with that question, and and definitely that's the answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, reducing the body weight, it is absolutely the main goal on potentially reversing and controlling a metabolic condition, and with this said, obesity and diabetes. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that is also good for our patients to know and our uh, the people that is listening to this podcast that we have to recognize that being overweight, that being obese, and being morbidly obese is a medical condition that we need to pay attention and treat. Mm -hmm. In the past, we have not done, and we, I say, we, the medical providers, we have not done our due diligence to, you know, take care of this problem. We were like, okay, you need to reduce weight. But what does that mean to the patient? What does that mean to me that I'm listening? Of course, I know. Or in the back of our, of our minds, we know for sure that we do, uh, we could use some less pounds, right? But we, as physicians, are uh, as part of a medical team working with the patients, we have not been able to translate exactly what do we mean to the patient, right? What do we want to say to the patient? What is the clear message? And that's what we are seeing the race that we're seeing right now. The Bronx is definitely the county in New York State that it struggles the most. Right. with obesity rates. As a physician, uh, being part of this community and treating our community and caring for this community is important. One that we recognize that this is one a medical problem, it's affecting our community and we do need to take care of this.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Clarissa, I wanted to turn to you because um, I love what Dr. Machiavello said, like, you know, we tell people this, but like, are we even creating a plan for you after? Um, so what was that like for you? Like, you know, planning, how did you work with your provider or not? And how did you kind of lean on your community and for support?
2: Yeah, it was hard because like I said, my doctor said you have to lose weight and doctor right, right on it. Like you don't get the support. I knew I had to lose weight. I didn't know how. Right. I knew I had diabetes, but what does that mean? How did... Do- and, and, and where I come from, diabetes, you know, we hear all the time, oh, diabetes runs in the family. So it's almost like you're, you're destined to get it. There was never a conversation where it was like, no, this is a, a disease that can be prevented. It was more so like, well, my grandfather has it and my dad, and so my mom, so I'm going to have it. I'm supposed to have it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when, when he said that, I was like, wait, what does that mean? And so a lot of it was doing the research on my own. Um, really trying to dig deep. I knew that like, I had to do the research. Uh, there weren't any resources um, fully accessible. There were some, but not as though there was no plan created, right? There wasn't like, Clarissa, here's a step-by-step. Let me take your hand and walk you through this process of living a healthier lifestyle. Because this is not, some, this is not about one day to the next. This is not a short-term goal. This is something that you're going to have to do for the rest of your life. Unfortunately, because, you know, our body compositions and and just I think I grew up in a Latina household. Right. Rice and beans and chicken. I had to learn how to cook. There were vegetables that I never knew. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I was like, what is Brussels sprouts? Like, what is that? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I'm 30 and I don't know what these vegetables are and the benefits of these foods. Right. Mm-hmm. Like so I had to do a lot of research. And as I started to do the research, I used social networks and social media to connect with other, you know, people and communities and organizations who were doing this work uh, to really Mm -hmm. learn more about, like, how do I live this different lifestyle? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And and it sounds like, you know, you really tapped into your community to be your teachers, to be your support system. And losing weight in the Bronx is not easy. Like, After 8 o'clock, I'm not going on a run. You know what I mean? And so, like, and I know that I'm not going to be able to get, like, a fruit smoothie with greens in it from, like, my bodega on the corner. So, like, how did you kind of navigate that, like, in the Bronx? Were you, like, kind of, like, going to Manhattan to get, like, food and, like, ordering? Oh, my gosh. Yeah,
2: unfortunately, it became, like, I had to really think about my priorities.
0: Yeah. Like,
2: where i putting my money. And I said, you know what, like, I'm going to have to sacrifice. Uh, And I wasn't like, I I just was spending, I was going to Whole Foods. And that was the unfortunate part. Like, I can't go to, like, Whole Foods had vegetables that Western beef or local markets here didn't have. And when you do the research and you learn, like, what vegetables are good for energy or good for hormones and good, you have to go looking for that. And so I started to just, you know what? Prioritize this about my health. I have to pour the resources into my health. And so it, it cost me more and I had to reduce my money somewhere else, but I was now feeding you know, myself, my temple, my body. You know, mm-hmm. I was feeling better and, and that was priceless. I was like, I feel great. Like mm-hmm. I, my energy is different. And to be honest, like when I just cut the sugar beverages out, I told people it was 10 days and I was like tracking this journey. 10 days later, there was a big difference Mm. just because that was the amount of sugar beverages that I was drinking that I didn't realize. I was almost 300 pounds and a lot of this was just in beverages like liquid sugar.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like we're drinking our calories. I've heard that term, like drinking your calories. And I love that you noted that, you know losing weight and being on this like weight management journey impacted not just your physical health but your mental health too and just like how you were showing up in the world um dr Machiavelli could you speak to that too like what are all the benefits of um you know losing weight and being on this weight management journey like i almost want to move away from like losing weight and really it being just like weight management being healthy um because that's really our
1: goal it's like we want to be healthy thank you for that vocabulary because i that's exactly i was trying to look for the words to describe it. But yes, this is a wellness pathway, yeah. right? Because it's correct. It's not about losing the weight. It's also becoming healthier, right? And I think that this is the focus, right? It's becoming healthier. And what are the steps that we need to do to do that, right? One of the things that I personally learned is the bank for your, for, for your buck, right? Mm-hmm. So you are investing right to uh, do certain things you're investing your money to provide for and nurture for your body you only have one body to live in yeah so let's start by that concept and the nurturing of it is, is what we have sometimes not paid a lot of attention including myself right most of my patients will see and have seen and have commented that over the past three months i I went into the same clique that Clarissa was just talking about, me as a, a physician that, is a, that has a Latino background and enjoys a lot of our dishes, right? Because I, I want to say that my medical career, I grew up uh, in the Bronx as part of my medical career, and I was able to enjoy uh, most of the dishes of our beautiful community. Having said that, it is very, very important that we also learn what our patients like to eat. Yes. My background is Ecuadorian. I was born in Ecuador. I'm a, I am an American citizen, right? Uh, but by saying that is, okay, I started speaking to the patients of what do they need to start doing? But I, in the in the beginning, I didn't relate to what mm-hmm. they were eating. I was just saying generalizing a way of stating, okay, Uh, You need to cut on the carbohydrates, you know, in Ecuador, we eat corn, potatoes, and rice. Um, But I wasn't really paying attention to what my patient actually ate. Mm. And that is the first step, right? Let's uh, let's recognize what is my patient uh, potentially doing better, could do better, right? And that's the first thing that I needed to learn. Second thing is where are they acquiring their food? And how? Mm -hmm. I think I'm very proud to say that I have seen definitely a transformation in the Bronx in terms of this this later part that I just said. Uh, We have been seeing a growth, not as big as we potentially could have liked Mm seen, but we have seen a growth on fresh markets. And also, that are very respectful to the way that our patients, uh, to our patients' economy, right? How are they acquiring their food, right? And I think that that first step is the same little step that we are all doing in, in providing this, or, or the first step to this, well, in this wellness pathway, right? So, um, um, we are seeing that we are growing in these fresh markets, and therefore, Our patients have more access with that said, have uh, more access to these foods and therefore can acquire them and start not experimenting with them. But this is the this is where we are. Also, we as an institution offering and providing services can expand. A teaching kitchen, right? Let's invite our patients and see, Okay, there are certain vegetables that I'm pretty sure most of you have never heard about. Uh, Clarissa mentioned Brussels sprouts. That is one of my favorite vegetables, right? Yeah. And uh, some of us eat them where we're as part of Thanksgiving. They are very low in calories. They can fill you up uh, pretty fast. You can make them very tasty mm. by putting them in the oven and with a little bit of olive oil, salt, and pepper. They don't need anything else, right? But as, as as I mentioned, one example. So I think that with a teaching kitchen, so that means that our patients have access also about learning how to prepare these foods with the aspect of how, what do they like eating? How can I substitute what you regularly like to eat? And I'm going to make another example. Rice and beans. I think that when it comes to most of our ethnicities and cultures, living in the Bronx, I would say that most, most of us come from Central America um, and Mexico, part of the islands, right? We all like eating rice and beans in a way, in a season, whatever they whatever they may be, but we all have that combination, right? How can we make it taste the same? Changing some elements. Mm. Instead of the rice that has carbohydrates, um with carbohydrates, carbohydrates become sugar, right? So when I'm talking about carbohydrates, when I'm talking about rice, I'm talking about sugar. Another element that we can teach our patients sugar is not only what tastes sweet, it's also what is a starchy. Mm. What we can make bread with or some other starchy element, right? So let's substitute that sugar which is the rice into a different with a different grain. I'm gonna make that example of quinoa. Quinoa is very easy to cook. It's the same ratio and proportion of rice to quinoa. So, one funny thing. I learned how to cook rice here in the Bronx. Right. Oh. I tried many times when I was living uh, with my mom. She was like, you always the pegote, like, tastes horrible. It's just like a, <laughs> uh, you know, shapeless mass. I don't know what you're doing wrong. <laughs> And i learned here so what that's why i said uh, you also have to learn right what are the proportions and you see uh, still the same one cup of of uh this grain quinoa two cups of water a little bit of salt Mm -hmm. or maybe um sazon right -hmm. because or uh, mrs dash you know or uh, a piece of onion maybe a garlic right those don't have calories but has a lot of flavor again bang for the buck Mm -hmm. but those are things that we have to learn and by teaching that to our patients, they can still enjoy their beans, but instead of having that sugar attached with the rice, now they can have beans and quinoa. The grain feels the same to the palate, and you're providing something that has or brings even more nutrients because rice is just mostly starch, no fiber. Now quinoa has fiber, has vitamins, and some other more interesting elements that now you're nourishing your body. With this nourishment and making those changes, the brain reacts differently. The brain is no longer responding to feeling lousy. I don't have energy because, you know, this amount of insulin that the body is releasing also makes uh, some energy production in the body. So we feel tired because of that. Mm. The body is also an engine, mm. and- so it's working without even noticing. So the more hormones that they have to make, it wastes energy. So we're going to feel exhausted. But by making little substitutions, all of a sudden you're replacing all those minerals, your those um, proteins, those interesting elements of nourishment, of wellness back into the body and therefore with the resulting of feeling better more mm-hmm. energetic. Uh, mm-hmm. I can do more things during the day. I feel less aggravated by you know everything in life. I can deal with stress a little bit better. I don't think that uh, you know there's no uh, a magic answer for everything. It's a work. It's a work in in progress.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like from what you said, like weight management really is like helping with all around wellness. And you really touched on like culturally competent care and how institutions like SBH really need to invest in that. Um, From a consumer perspective, um, what changes do you think institutions need to make that um, to really support patients and to really support Bronx residents on their weight management journeys and wellness? Clarissa?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, there has to be a lot more. Like, I think we need to teach this in schools. Like, it has to start in the schools. Like, our young people need to see, like, healthy food. They need to know why healthy food, right? Like, we just can't change the food without education. Like, you know, we we need to tell our kids, this is why we need to eat this food, right? Like, you know, my grandmother was one who would say later in life, like, Clarissa, you got to lose that weight. You got to lose that weight. Yeah, I know I have to lose that weight. But I think as a child, if I made the connection with, well, you see what happens to grandpa? These, this, We have to do this and we have to change. I think starting in schools and educating our kids will go a long way with. So this has to be in the curriculum. But also, like right now, the immediate thing, I think, is like we need to. Any patient that's ever diagnosed with diabetes or where we see like you're pre-diabetic, we need to create an action plan. Mm-hmm. Like what is the action plan? Like we need to have serious action plans. and and like something needs to be mandated, like mandated because like it you know, a lot of a lot of people are feeling as though once they have diabetes or high blood pressure or high cholesterol, that's it. You know, there's, there's no way out. It's time to take pills. And now you're taking all these pills where it doesn't have to be that way, you know? And so I think like, let's, let's create this action plan and, and let's talk about, you know, how we're going to get there. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not, okay. You, you're pre-diabetic, lose some weight, change your diet, and I'll see you in in three months. It's Mm -hmm. like, oh, you're pre-diabetic. So before you leave here, I need, I need to figure out how we can, you know, what are going to be your small goal changes for the next two weeks, and we'll follow up in two weeks, you know, that's,
0: Yeah, like we can't do this like passive like method anymore. Like it has to be proactive. And I know that SBH has started to be like very proactive in helping patients with their weight management. So Dr. Machiavelli, if you want to kind of comment on our new SBH Health and Wellness Center and how we're supporting or how you're supporting your patients on their weight management journeys. Uh, As
1: Clarissa mentioned, and one of the... uh, Main messages here is that we have to start early, and uh, we have to be advocates for to mandate education, to improve, and you know make these connections. The earlier, the better. as i mentioned, my my mom taught me how to cook, not rice, but <laughs> um but it is, you know, we have to also i'm forty three years of age. Uh, and uh, I'm very happy to say that we have seen such a drastic change on on the terms of roles in in taking care of uh, of our relatives and oneself. So it is extremely important that uh, members of our community, regardless of the age, they learn how to cook, <laughs> and and the better they cook, you know, that it's more education. It's another talent that they can. They can add and to efficiency um, right? <laughs> that's number one, so uh, I'm very proud to say, right, that uh, we have started really early with our patient recognition and on how we can make some adjustments and the pediatric adolescent program in SBH, led by fantastic uh, physicians, have enrolled a good number of teenagers into our wellness center. The wellness center provides. Education in the teaching kitchen and provides education on the uh, physical aspect of providing that added element to moving, some exercise. Not everybody likes to, uh, to exercise exactly the same. That's true. Right. But I think that it's important to educate ourselves on why it's important to, you know, exercise and exercise what within what you like to do. Mm-hmm. That's so true. Yeah, I think that, and we have fantastic teachers of this wellness in this wellness pathway, both in the teaching kitchen and in the exercise element on this comprehensive uh, package for for patients. Is that we are always teaching how patients can do this on their own, Mm -hmm. and that they make these connections. We also have. Provided during COVID time, we started uh, during COVID time where even when we were closed, we were doing outreach for our patients to potentially serve them at home with video visit and health coaching through the technology that was available for them, providing exercise videos, continue marketing our our teaching kitchen channels. When we opened and we were able to open with the restrictions of COVID. Of course, we started small, and our patients also regained the confidence on on coming back, (laughs) right? And took the first step on actually seeing how beautiful the Wellness Center is and what we can offer them. Our physicians were trained to recognize and, and how to teach our patients that this is a condition that we are paying attention to and new services were provided in for them in Sbh. We were working really closely within the same network, meaning that they didn't need to do anything else. We refer the patients into this clinical pathway. There are trainers and, and teachers were introducing themselves to the patient, offering their services uh, as being referred by us, the providers, to the teachers, For the patients. So it resonated in a different way. Oh my God, so I really need to lose weight, or I really need to do exercise, or I need to do some wellness approach overall, besides my medication to feel better. It's (laughs) medically recommended in this way. So they make this connection. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, it's almost like you prescribed exercise. (laughs) So it was like exercise, weight management with the teaching kitchen. We also have a rooftop farm and it's almost like this closed loop, which is awesome. And you mentioned that like not everybody works out the same. And like Clarissa, I'm sure you could comment on that. Like not everybody likes the same thing. Like some people want to do weight, Some people want to do Zumba. Some people want to do yoga. What was it for you? Like what you were like, yes, I love this. This is what I'm going to do to kind of like break a sweat today.
2: Oh, I got to tell you, when I, I, when I decided to finally get a membership, because I've had memberships to gyms and they've just been failing and failing, right? Because it's a mindset. It's really a mindset. You really have to like attach your goals serious. And really it's it's hard in the beginning, it's going to be hard, but you need, you need a community. You need a community to support you. And what I did was I, I went to the gym, everything was annoying. The stairmaster, the bike the treadmill and I was overweight. So I was intimidated. The people in the gym didn't look like me. It was probably predominantly white. I was black Latina in a gym. And so I'm like, I just, it it wasn't motivating, Mm -hmm. but I have one. And this is why I'm all about community and finding your people and people who are going to bring you up because I had one lady say to me, why don't you try the spin class of all things? I'm like, spare." I would look in the spin class, the spin class, like they were like really it was intense. And I would say, I don't know, I don't know. And she says, you know what? Go into the class, sit in the back, sit on the bike and just 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 pedal. You don't have to get up. You don't have to put up the resistance. Sit on the bike and just pedal. And that's what I did. I sat on that bike and I pedaled. And I came back the next day and I did the same thing. And I continued to do it and do it. And I saw, I was like, whoa, until now, like. I have a bike at home. I love to spin. I go to the gym, you know, and spinning. Spinning became my thing. I would have never thought, right? I played basketball growing up, but I never thought that spinning would be something that I would love to do. So yeah, I love strength exercises and and those are great, you know, but you have to find something that you're really going to love because if you don't connect and, and try it, like I was apprehensive at first. I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing spin. I don't, that's not for me. I did it and I tried it, right? Um so try and try and and the first day might not be, you know, the day for you, but keep give it give it a shot, give it a fair chance. So yeah. that's my suggestion. Yeah, that's what I did.
0: And it sounds like really just like trying everything once, like, you know what, take the boxing class, like just see what it's like, take the Zumba class, do the spin class, like, and just see what it's like. And for us to wrap up from Clarissa, what are some like motivating words you have for folks that are, you know, maybe in the middle of their weight loss journey and they may have made like some steps back, but you know what, you want to keep them going. Like, what advice would you give to that person?
2: It's not a linear process. It's not something that's going to happen from one day to the next.
0: My journey was from
2: 2016 and I'm still on that journey. And COVID set us back and made it even harder to continue that journey, right? Because now we were in the house, there was no movement, there were no gyms, you were in the kitchen most of the time, your meetings were in the kitchen, work was in the kitchen, everything was happening. And so it, it, it became hard even for myself, but you have every day is a day, you get a new day and every day is that day to get back up and say, I'm gonna do something differently. It's not going to be perfect. Maybe your entire day is not perfect. Right. Maybe you start off eating great. And by the end of the day, you know, you, you had a soda, you had something, but you started off. And then the next day, guess what? Start off again. So it's just one day at a time. And I like to tell people, forget about the weight. That's not what that's not the goal. Forget about the weight, although that's the hardest thing to do, because that's what we see. We see the weight. Forget about that. Think about, you know, every time you eat a meal, how nutritional that is to the body, what it's doing to your energy inside, right? It's like my grandmother used to tell me, oh, you you kids, y'all look good on the inside, on the outside, but on the inside, and it's true, right? We want to wear the sharpest clothes and we want to, you know, to the eye, we want to look beautiful, but inside is what really matters, right? Our hearts, our organs, and that's what we need to take care of. So one day at a time.
0: Mm-hmm. Love that. And Dr. Machiavello. any parting words and inspirational words um, for folks that are, you know, on that journey and may have some difficulties but want to keep going?
1: My My biggest message is that if you have been able to be successful in a pathway, you can become the coach of your community. Mm-hmm. Be that example, right? I am I am participating in our wellness center as a member of the gym. And I train there once a week, the trainer. So if there's a patient going there, if there's a a member seeing me there, that means I'm, I'm providing some example. If my patients have seen me losing pounds, looking better, they feel motivated. So everybody here in this community that has been successful in their pathway of wellness and being successful... Uh, At what their goals have been, they are coaches in their community. Mm -hmm. Don't be shy. As a matter of fact, share. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, I I congratulate you, Clarissa, and thank you very much for keep on sharing it because these these stories, you're becoming the coach in the community. Mm-hmm. You are
0: the coach in my community. Yeah. Like, And you're on this journey and you are truly an example for so many people. And your experience, especially with your family and speaking about your family, I really appreciate that because so many people can resonate with that. So thank you for being your community champion. Thank
2: you. Thank you.
0: Thank you. thank you. Yeah, so um thank you, Clarissa and Dr. Machiavello for joining us on SBH Bronx Health Talk. Um, for more information on services available at SBH's Health and Wellness Center, also at SBH Health System, visit SBHNY.org and also give Clarissa a follow on social media at C-O-O-L underscore R-I-S-S. And we will see you guys next time.
1: Thank you for having us. Thank you. Have a good one.